And good morning and welcome. This is Eric Rollins, the Constitutionalist, here on 1550 KXEX, the best talk in town. Today, I'm joined by somebody running for Madera County Supervisor and a fellow Constitutionalist. So I think it will be a good discussion. As you know, though, I always start with some opportunities to get involved. Usually that means meetings, but, you know, you have to meet with like-minded people first because we can't do very much on our own. We need to work together. So find your place. There's a couple of events coming up, 719 on Tuesday. The first one is the NRA meeting, the monthly meeting for Fresno County. That's at 1123 Railroad Avenue at 630 p.m. on June 19th. That's a Tuesday. Um, and I love that organization, but my first love is with Constitutionals for California. And I will be driving to Kingsburg Tuesday, 719 at 630 and the location is 15,000 Rose Avenue. Amnon Shore is speaking. He is running for, I can't remember the number. I had him on recently. He is running for state senate. You would define his area as most of Fresno County, all of Madera, all of Merced County. And seems to be a pretty good guy. So here's an opportunity to find out, is this a candidate you should get behind? Come out and join us. What, what's his name? Amnon Shore. Amnon Shore. Yep. So he's Israeli. It sounds Israeli. like it's a, it's a who's on first bit, but it's yeah. actually Amnon. <laughs> and my final event, 726. So that is a Tuesday night. Fresno Republican Women's Federated is having a 1920s style gala. And it is featuring featuring Larry Elder. I'm going. So if you're interested, you'd have a chance to meet me. I don't know that I'm that entertaining, but certainly not in Larry Elder's category. But it should be a fun event. Again, it's important to do things that are fun, but it's also important to go out and meet like-minded individuals. So I see it as both something fun and as a chance to maybe make some contacts because I want to change our state. Today I'm joined by Mark Reed. And he's somebody that I think also wants to change this state, though he's stepping up. You know, I'm just a big mouth on the radio. He's actually stepping up and running. Tell me a little bit about yourself, Mark. Well, I moved to Madera County about 13 years ago. My family roots go about 50 years back into Madera County. But I, I went to Los Angeles, San Fernando Valley, and that's where I got my business experience. I've been a business owner for 37 years. I was in business management for 48 years. And for the last nine years, a lot of the leadership in eastern Madera County have asked me to run. And I refused to run against the incumbent, which was Tom Wheeler, because it really divides the community when you run against an incumbent. An incumbent wins 93% of the time, and it doesn't matter how good or how bad they are. That's a depressing stat. It is a very depressing stat. And so unless they really screw up, they're going to get reelected. So this election is an extremely important election because of the Eastern Madera County as a division of between uh, housing, bedroom community. There's tourism up there, but there are also farm issues, you know, the farming industry and also the cattle, cattle industry. And I had a great interview over at the Farm Bureau and Cattlemen's Association's Candidates Forum, and I got a lot of feedback saying I, I was really good. In fact, four or four individuals from the audience came up to me and they're like, Mark, you're wasting your time running for county supervisor. And I was like, I got a little depressed. I was like, oh, what do you mean? You should be running for governor. <laughs> 
they thought I was so right on the points of the issues that are going on within the ag industry and also with the uh, Cattlemen's Association because of the water issues facing the state of California, not just Madera County, but the entire state of California. Now, I looked into your history. Um, you've run several times, seem to be mostly against the same guy. Yes, a district that was 30, 30 uh, plus uh, Democrat district, the Republican Party wanted me to run because I was very successful in getting up 30 to 35 percent of the vote in a heavy Democrat district that had a 21 percent registered Republican. Because the interesting statements you said uh, early on in your introduction is that we need to be around like-minded people. Mm-hmm. It gives when, us hope. It, it, it gives us hope, but the, the biggest issue is, and some of our, our preamble and conversation off, off mic was about the Democrat Party and where it is today versus the old school Democrat. The old school Democrat is actually a Republican now. Mm-hmm. The new the new Democrats are a progressive Democrat, which really isn't the same. So when you sit down and you have civil conversations with Democrats, Republicans, or just other people within the district, and you start talking about the issues, you start start talking about solutions, you start finding that bridge that that makes you equal. You're the mm-hmm. same. Everybody wants the same thing. We all want a family. We all want a home. We all want security. We all want the government out of our, even Democrats want the government out of their backyard. Okay. Old school Democrats. Old school Democrats. Progressives, not so much. Not so much. I don't know if the progressives really know what they want besides destroying everything that we have. Well, they want the current thing that they've been told that they should care most about. And what's that? Exactly. Exactly what I'm saying. (laughs) They don't know what they want. And it's, they, they want to destroy, you know, the free marketplace. They want everything to be handed out to them. And I always heard that joke. I don't know if you've heard this one before. Is they're, they're after this utopia. Mm-hmm. And this utopia is a place where you work if you want to work. You get free food. You get free housing. You get free medical. And the only people that are carrying guns around are people that are there to protect you. And my comeback all the time is, that place really exists already, and it does exist. It's called prison. <laughs> That's the utopia of a progressive is a Marxist, socialist, communist-styled country because somebody has got it. I think it was Winston Churchill that came out and said that, that socialism is the equal sharing of misery. Mm-hmm. And you, I love that quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the quote I really like more than anything is we said we're going to talk about election integrity down the line here in, in the interview is that he also said the only sure argument against democracy is a five minute conversation with the average voter. I forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, that one, because people don't know what the federal government's responsibilities are and how they are controlled or restrained by our constitution. They don't understand that the declaration of independence is the picture that the constitution frames because the constitution just limits the government's powers and issues the states, most of the powers to be able to control the population. And, and, you know, we talked about a little bit about the question you wanted to ask, what is the true role of government? Mm -hmm. Look at the declaration of independence declaration of independence is we are endowed by our creator with inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The government is there just to protect those. They don't give them to you. They're there to protect them, and that's it. They don't give them to you. 
you know, I love that idea. The sad part is for so much of the population, that is just almost an esoteric idea. We've let that go and we should be holding on to that. Those rights given by God should be one of our most precious gifts. Absolutely. Why are, why do we want the freedom, but we don't want the responsibility. The responsibility is, and I'm looking at all the people in my County that didn't vote and don't vote. Why is it you need to give up your responsibility, but you want the freedom? Well, it's individual responsibility. They want individual freedoms, right? But with individual freedom comes individual responsibility, and and you can't dissect the two. Well, it's like right and left hand, right? You need both to have a civil society. Uh, yeah, that's why in the old <laughs> days the center left, center right actually worked. Mm-hmm. The progressive, the progressive left, and the far right is dividing this country, and dividing communities, dividing the states in a way in which we haven't seen in, in a long time. I mean, we've always had civil unrest. In fact, I sat down with Robert F. Kennedy uh, Jr. We were having a conversation about his uncle that was assassinated. And when he took office, he said flat out the CIA and the FBI and all the intel were against his, his uncle big time. There was a lot of civil unrest, and he was going after them. And it was like, you know, you're not taught these things in school anymore. You're not taught our history of what this country stands for. And consequently, the kids graduating from high school, even graduating from college, really have no idea what this country stands for. Why it is a, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the word right now, a, a special country. And I'm trying to think of that word. Um, it's, not, it's not unique. <laughs> we stand above all. Um, I, I'll think of it. I'm having a Biden yeah, moment. We're, we're, I'm sorry. We're, yeah, I'm, Second time thing. today. I'm al- on allergy medicine, and I'm just a hair off. But American exceptionalism. Exceptionalism is the word I'm actually looking for. That, right that is there. one that I grew up listening to Rush Limbaugh speak about. That and and uh, uh, the other one, uh, Dennis Prager. Yeah, American Prager ex- does that. Yeah, American exceptionalism is is the key element. But the key element of understanding what is an American? Yeah. What is an American? We're the melting pot of the world. An American is not an ethnicity. It's an ideology. Mm -hmm. That's all an American is. And what's happening today in society, and we watch it all over Facebook, is this complete intolerance of one another, of the intolerance of ideas. You know, I uh, testified on four different occasions in front of the Federal Communications Commission in in regards to vertical integration and consolidation. And the word back in 1934 that was used, and there was diversity of ownership. And that word has been bastardized to mean a color diversity. It doesn't mean that. America's greatness comes from the diversity of ideas. But the left doesn't believe in that. No. They talk about equity and diversity, but it only has to do with people that are of their ideology. And that's everybody it. else needs to be destroyed. That's right. That's that's cancel culture in a nutshell. In a nutshell. Well, I'm experiencing that in my election right now because I'm a, a conservative constitutionalist. And the far left has been coming out after me, hook, tooth, and nail. The LGBTQ community. They're hiding it even. Some of them, that, that was one of the most interesting things, that they were not admitting who they were and what their perspective was. They were just nailing you and pretending like they were somewhere in the center. And that's, that's the interesting thing. If they really knew me, right, they, they got to know me versus just 
assuming this conservative constitutionalist hates everybody. I don't. You know, I have some very good friends that are transgender, that are that are homosexual, bisexual, because I look at them as a human being first. Their sexual preference is none of my business. No different than my sexual preference. It's actually none of their business, even though I'm married. I'm married to, I've been married for 44 years, going on my 45th wedding anniversary. I have 11 grandchildren and three adult children. So it's kind of obvious that I'm a heterosexual, right? But the issue is, is I don't shove my sexual preference on anybody, and I don't expect them to That's shove That's almost it on an American idea. Tolerance. Kind of like an American idea. Well, they, at they, least but, it used to be. But they want to shove their ideology on me, and, and they don't afford me the right to be able to say, no, I don't agree with you. See? And it's like, yes, personally, I disagree with it. But at the same time, look, based on the Constitution, you have a right of your pursuit of happiness. And if your pursuit of happiness is to get married to the same sex, go do it. It doesn't. It doesn't bother me, and I don't condemn you. I don't have judgment on you. It's not my lifestyle. But as a public figure, my responsibilities is to assure you the same rights and privileges afforded to anybody in America. Well, we talked about the role of government, but I think specifically the role of an elected official is to protect people's rights. That's right. And that is forgotten that, that because that's their job, they're a servant. That's, that's forgotten. For, that's forgotten as well. They think a lot of the elected uh, public officials now think that they're dictators. Mm-hmm. They get to tell people what to do. Now that's not true. And if they don't feel they don't, if they feel they don't quite have the power, then they rely on the bureaucracy to take the decision if they're not strong enough to actually make it themselves. That's right. Yeah, I'll give you a small story. A good friend of mine, uh, I won't use his name right now, um, but he, in one of my congressional races, him and he's, he's a bisexual, married to a transgender. They, they were helping with me, helping my campaign at the time. They wanted to go to a public a Republican event, and it was the endorsement process. And they were, they were scared to go because a lot of the Republican organizations, they really they don't have an acceptance for the, that community at all. And my message has always been is, I don't agree with the lifestyle, but I have acceptance for them as another one of God's children, and that's it. And it's our responsibility to be able to hold another person's hand to redemption, whether they ever get there or not. That's up to them. It's not up to me. And so I said, no, let's, let's go. And they were afraid that a couple of the party officials that really have known them for a while would make them go and sit in the back of the room. And I said, so long as you're with me, you're going to sit up front of the room with me. You're part of the campaign. And they, they didn't know if they could trust me or not. And just like they were afraid of, the party officials came up and they say, they need to sit in the back. And I said, no, they're going to sit right here, right next to me. And they were like, what? I said, yeah, because I was the preferred candidate at the time. So I had a little, little way in and they were shocked. They were actually shocked that I did that. And I said, why are you shocked? I told you that's what I was going to do. See, that's what a public official needs to do. Most candidates run out there and they will sing the song and the dance and tell you what you want to hear in order to get elected. Well, and, and they'll put their finger up to, 
you know, the wet their finger and put it up and see, well, you know, I had this opinion, but I don't have to stick by this. Exactly. They got in and now they can't get out because they know the stats too. 93% of the time they're going to be reelected and it doesn't matter how bad they are. They're just going to get reelected because now they get to show up at every little letter opening event that happens in the district and they get name recognition. They do a lot of favors for people. It's like my, my opponent right now is heavily funded. Okay, by the developers outside of the district. Uh, I, I did believe, notice that. I believe 80% of his his donations are coming from developers out of Fresno. I didn't and, do the numbers, but I know you're close. I'm yeah, backing you up. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not against development. But who are you representing? Are you representing your district? Or are you representing the people that are giving you money? Because you can't have two masters. Right. And they weren't small donations. Oh, no. There were, one was 10000 bucks, Another one was 8000 bucks. There's a whole bunch of them at 5000 bucks, And there's a bunch of them at $2,500. $2,500. And they and, largely seem to be developers. Exactly. Well, another thing is if you look at the $2,500 and $1,000 ones, they're subsidiaries of the main developers. I, I did look some of that up. Oh, we've looked all that stuff. <laughs> I up. didn't look them all up, but I looked some of now, that the, up. Yeah. The fun part about looking at a person's donations, it's not how much money they get in. How do they spend it? How did he spend it? Yeah. That part I did not look at. That's an interesting one. He spent $8,000 on a photographer. A photographer to follow him around. He spent $10,000 giving it away to these, you know, to YLP, Minarets, the Rotary Club, the Lions Club, the, the um, Rotarian Club. And it's because he was trying to buy favors. He was trying to buy, you know, votes in that sense. And, and, reality of it is he spent $125,000. We spent 23. And so even though there was a 200 vote separation between us, he says he's the primary winner. And I say, I'm the people's choice winner because I didn't have that same money. Well, and you didn't have the backing of the former supervisor. Don't have the backing of the former supervisor, which is part of the machine. I had, I had the backing of the people. That's the primary thing right there. I understand the issues that are going on between the, the, the fire insurance premiums, the fire departments up there at Cal Fire. And we'll, we'll get into those yeah. in a minute. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and take a break because I just think it's a good place to go ahead and take a break. Absolutely. This is Eric Rollins, the Constitutionalist, here on 1550 KXCX, the best talk in town. This is Eric Rollins, the Constitutionalist, here on 1550 KXCX, the best talk in town. Today I am joined by Supervisor Candidate for District 5 in Madera County, Mark Reed. Welcome. So I want to talk a little bit about what's going on with water in Madera County, which is a microcosm of what's happening in the whole Central Valley. Well, you look at water, let's go the the macro and then we'll go to the micro. Okay. Okay. The macro in the state of California is, is the complete mismanagement of the one of the most important resources we have is water. Trillions of gallons of water just slides right off the surface, the surface water right off the state of California. Every time it rains, it's not captured. It's not put into the aquifers. It's not, it's not retained in any particular way. That's a complete mismanagement. The California uh, uh, Water Project, which was now run by the Metropolitan Water District, was originally supposed to be built in three phases. In phase one, it never got out of phase one. That was designed for 19 million people or 40 million people now. So that's why we're having shortages of water. They have also removed dams, different uh, channels, uh, levees, and everything else under the sun. 
Because of that mismanagement, now they're diving into Sigma, which is the state's desire to control water, complete water and groundwater and so forth. They are pushing down to the counties. Now, Sigma is putting a limitation because they don't have that water in storage during the summertime. So let's define what Sigma is so that my, my guests know. I, you know, I don't know the, the acronym, the acronym. I know the acronym. So what do they do more importantly? More, they, they govern the water. Okay. About what the counties can and can't do. And they'll pass down the percentage of what water can be used, especially to the farming district. So the GSAs are now local agencies implementing Sigma's policies that have been shoved down by the state. So the GSAs, I was in a, a board of supervisors meeting And the most important thing to the person that was giving the presentation is how are they going to fund their department? Because it's a new department. How are they going to fund it? So now they're going to charge fees for following acreage, and they're going to have to follow about one-third of their acreage out of production. They're going to now put meters on all the wells. They're going to give an allocation of water, and they're going to find them if they go over that allocation. So now you look at high-yielding crops that take a lot of water, there's a massive fine that goes with it because you've got to water them, period. And they have to pay for the following of one-third of their acres. And so it's putting an overdue burden on the farmers and ranchers as well, you know, the cattle ranchers, an undue burden because the state refuses to manage the natural resource properly. Well, they've not done maintenance on canals or dams. Zero. Zero. You know, they look at the Orville Dam, you know, they spill away, you know, I have family up there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of them, it it doesn't matter where you're at in the state of California. You look at the infrastructure and that dies right into county infrastructure. You look at the counties. What is their infrastructure? The County of Madera right now is building these huge, uh, developments, you know, housing developments, uh, to Cerro Viejo and the, the Rancho areas and Riverstone and where are they getting their water from? It's all groundwater. They're drilling wells down to 1,500 feet. The average well up in the mountain area is about 500 feet. So they're diving into the fracture areas deeper than the wells up in the hills. So those wells are going to run dry. And you're watching it happen, you know, constantly all over the place up in the mountain areas. But we're the first ones to get the water coming off of the mountains. Well, the reason that those housing developments happen is because they're lucrative. Well, they're very, So that means that they're boats very, get bought. They're very lucrative and they're... You know, this is where the district has to, to kind of wise up because the five county supervisors in Madera, you have uh, Robert Foitress and Leticia Gonzalez that represents really the, the county area, but it's incorporated by the city of Madera. So there's three rural county supervisors. You have Dave Rogers, you have Tom Wheeler, and you have Brett Frazier. The developers have to have those three votes to get anything out of the shoe. So now that Brett Frazier kind of retired and he's going to the uh, county assessor's office, they need that vote. So they have two people they want to put in there. So those two are up on the, on the ballot in November. Okay. They kept uh, Michelle Stevens from getting in there, who is a very solid person as far as I was concerned. Now they have the district five, which is myself and Tom's assistant. Uh, going at each Bobby other. McCauley? Bobby, I hate using the name, but Bobby McCauley, yes, is the individual. He has no government experience. Uh, he graduated uh, from Yosemite High School. He went to college for 
uh, two years getting a, a business management uh, uh, two-year degree. Uh, he claims he has he's a few credits shy of getting his master's from uh, online. Uh, but he went to work for a pizza place for a, as a manager for a year and a half. He couldn't make it out in Santa Cruz, so he came back and went to work for his family for four years selling insurance. Okay, then from there he went to work for Tom Wheeler, and you know as a as an assistant, they call it a, a, a chief of staff, but there's no staff, so it's a chief and no staff, and it's just an assistant. Yes, he gets to learn about government. Where is his applicable experience to government process? He doesn't have any, you know. So he has a lot of community work that he's done with the Rotarian Club, the Lions Club, uh, and and uh, he was on the um, committee for M. It's called MD Twenty Two A, which is the sewer district in Oakhurst. He was on that as a as a committee member. Uh, he's on, been on a couple other committees, but he really doesn't have the experience or the temperament to be able to sway four other county supervisors to go the direction that is in the best interest of Eastern Madera County. Well, every bit of my research, he almost never took a strong position on anything. He, he talked in platitudes. I, I almost challenge you to name one position that he took a strong I was trying position to give him, on. I was trying to give him some a tiny bit of credit, but... But, yeah, I didn't really find anything I thought was a strong position. See, when you go to work as a servant for the, the county or the state or the federal government, life experience and business experience has to be taken into account. Okay, life experience. You know, you what, what do you put into the category of life experience? Well, I've been married for 44 years. Okay, I've had to make those hard decisions for my family. For my children and for my grandchildren, I have 11 grandchildren, 10 granddaughters and one grandson. So I've had to make decisions. You know, when your children grow up and they move out of the house, they make decisions you like. They make decisions you don't like. And they make decisions you may never know of because they know you're not going to like them. Okay. (laughs) And that's every family. I know my parents didn't like every decision I made. They liked a lot of them. And there's some they still don't know, even though they're, you know, they're, they're passed on to the other side, you know? So, you know, this is the life decisions, life experience of making those hard decisions and providing for. Now you get into now practical experience of business, you know, and you know, my opponent, Bobby, he's never been married. He's never had a long-term relationship. He's living in his girlfriend's house. He's never bought a house. He's never established his own business. He's never been a CEO of any company at all. He's never had any, experience outside of Oakhurst, except for the limited experience that he has there. Well, in Santa Cruz is where you said he was? Santa Cruz is where he went to college. That's and, a little scary because the slugs are not a very conservative school uh, or not a conservative school in any way, shape or form. No, but he's not a conservative. You know, he became a Republican last, uh, last August, last year for this election. That's the first wall that he's pulling over everybody's eyes, even though it's a heavy conservative district. And this is where conservatives have to wake up. Conservative beliefs and ideologies are really founded in a lot of principles, and it's a lot of family principles as well. It's family, community, and the proper role of government. And if you don't have those principles down, then you don't understand what it is to be a conservative. The Republican Party's platform you know, espouses those principles, but they don't follow it. Right. So just being a Republican, that doesn't cut it. It's no. what is your life experience and how does it show? Now, nobody's perfect. I don't expect him to be a perfect person, 
he's, I'm sure he's made his mistakes in life and I don't condemn him for it. It's not proper for me to do that as, as a, as a Christian, as a God fearing individual. But the reality of it is, is you look at what his life experience is. Now you dive into business experience. What kind of business experience does he have? Zero, zero business experience. Has he ever written, you know, signed the front and the back end of a check? He's signed the front end of a check. That's what he's done all his life from his mom and dad, giving him a check to the pizza place. And now the County of Madera for the last two years. But what has he done? Well, sounds like there's very much a stark difference now that it's down to just the two of you. Let's talk a little bit about fires and forest management because for Eastern Madera County, that is huge. Well, yeah, you're looking at the, the state forestry department you're looking at the federal forestry department we have a big fire going on up in washburn you know they're called the washburn fire it's actually up by a house that i have in wawona and yes it was started they don't know how it was started but look there was no lightning storms up there and there was no camping fires going on so somebody probably threw a cigarette down didn't think twice about it and walked away from it while they were hiking and it started a fire now the forestry department they're not going to admit right out that right now it's a controlled burn. They have so much fuel up there. It hasn't been burned in over a hundred years. So they're just going, okay, we want it to go in this direction and that direction. And that's how they're doing it because they did a fantastic job saving the, the uh, Mariposa Grove and also blocking it from going into Wawona. So now it's going up to Mount Raymond and, and Iron Lake. And uh, it, it's just burning up fuel that they want gone anyways. And the reason why they, they're utilizing this or taking advantage of this moment is because the environmentalists have destroyed our forests. Well, they've, know, they've prevented management. Well, Indians they, they, used to do prescribed burns. Well, they did prescribe Log- burns, but Mother Nature did prescribe burns because a thunderstorm, thunder and lightning storm would come in, a lightning strike would happen, start a fire up, and then the rain would come in and put it out. So Mother Nature took care of our forest and i've always admired mother nature for that reason because i have two brown thumbs you know give me a plastic plant and i'll forget to fake water it and it'll die (laughs) so i i I just it's i'm always at awe when i go into a forest because it's beautiful and it they mother nature knew how to to take care of its own we are preventing mother nature from doing it. So we have too many older trees. All the seedlings down below are not growing because they can't get sunlight or enough water because the roots are not as deep. Well, now the, the water aspect, when the drought comes in, then you have the beetles come in it kills the trees. Now you've got all this dead trees up there and it's because the mismanagement of the forest. If the beetles, right, if the forest was actually cleaned up, either by Mother Nature or as California used to do with over 175 logging companies. They actually managed the forest really well. They took the older trees down, they cleaned out the underbrush, the seedlings grew, they'd come back 20, 30 years later, cut down the older trees again, and just harvest it in that fashion. They kept our forest very healthy. We only have 23 logging companies right now in the state of California. And Tom McClintock did a very, very ingenious idea of Lake Tahoe. And when that fire went through there, it proved to be very successful. You can't log on federal land. However, he didn't call it a logging operation. He called it a fuel reduction operation where they went in there and they took the older trees out. They cleaned all the underbrush out as part of the contract. And it saved the area because they were doing forestry management and just fuel reduction. 
and it proved to be a very successful program. I'd like to bring that up here. It, sounds like a neat idea. Well, the whole idea that, you know, the bark beetle, it wouldn't be successful if it was all managed healthy trees. If we had the reduction. Because they of, don't affect trees that are strong. Oh, they too, only yeah. they pick off all the weak trees. Well, there's too many trees per acre now where it's not healthy. So when you have a reduction of water, the trees can't fight off the bark beetle. Yeah. So if if tree population was reduced per acre, you would have enough sap in the trees to fight the bark beetle, and it wouldn't kill them. If the bark beetle exists. It's always going to exist, but the only way they thrive and kill off trees or healthy trees is when you have too many trees per acre, it's going to go in there and kill them. Yeah, when they're stressed trees, basically. Stressed trees, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They're just not producing enough sap to, to encapsulate the, the bark beetles, the larvae, and, and kill it off. I want to go ahead and segue into kind of crime, drugs, homeless. I know you have a, it's more of a rural district, but I guarantee you they're still there because they're everywhere in California. Homelessness is the, the if, if you go back into it, it started off in New York. It's called Housing First. It failed in New York. It went to Washington State. It went to Oregon, and then it dropped down into San Francisco, where they think housing first is going to solve it. To a small percentage, they're right. You know, housing is too expensive. My, you know, we had houses in L.A. And when my kids grew up, they couldn't afford a house, so they moved. I talked talk them into moving up here. They both bought houses in, in Madera County, in Oakhurst area. So you were up here regular even before you moved up here. Exactly. It was very affordable at the time, right? But even housing up there uh, has gotten up to an average of three fifty, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000 a house. So when my grandkids grow up, it's going to be very difficult for them to move out. So the housing first concept to a degree is correct. But the reality of it is, is most of the people, most of them, 75% plus, and there's a lot of stats to prove this, are mental health issues and drug addiction. Mental health issues, they self-medicate. That's the drugs, okay? It's a mental health issue that gets them, you know, fired. It gets them thrown out of society in a, in a way because they can't uh, move within society in a normal fashion. So they start taking drugs. It makes them feel normal. It encapsulates their attitudes. And so that becomes the major problem, and then they end up homeless. And it ends up isolating from family, friends, and everybody around. So this has to be addressed, and, and until we address it in a fashion that is compassionate, meaning we address the problem rather than addressing the symptom, we address the problem. Well, wait, that's just crazy. That's absolutely insane because, because it's, I mean, it's, it's called look common King, sense. Yeah, King Newsom decided that the way to fix the homeless problem is to throw a bunch of money and, and build, what was it, uh, yeah, yeah, they were a yeah. million dollars for each unit? Well, that's uh, clearly that's going to work. That's what's going on in L.A. I mean, each each basic uh, uh, bachelor's apartment over there, and that's all it is. It's a it's a one room apartment, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And I'm like, look, I can build two three thousand square foot houses for that amount yeah. of money, and I can house a lot more people than one or two. Yes, but you can't cut off a whole lot of those profits and line your pocket very successfully, you know, if you build it at a reasonable price. There was a article that was done a while back called the Homeless Industrial Complex, and that was the insidious cycle of money that was being given to nonprofit organizations and filtering back into the politicians' pockets for re-election. Yep. And it was, it was in the city, and it still goes on to this day. 
you know, and this is why the actual dollar that's given for the homeless issue does not go to the homeless person. Well, we got to look at what is the causation of homelessness. And it is a mental health and drug addiction problem. The, psychi- the psychiatric community has come out and said, look, in the United States, one out of every six people has a mental health problem. Wow. Yeah, we're, we're just how unstable is that person? Can they function? Can they not function? Because every household, I would say at least two out of three households, okay, um, are dysfunctional. As it's three out of five females are accosted, you know, raped or molested by the time they hit 18 years old. It's three out of six males are raped or accosted by the time they hit 18 years old. And they're those, you know, please, everybody don't hold me to those exact stats, but it is very close to that. So you look at those, that's a mental health issue right there. Right. Okay. Because when your trust is violated like that, either by a family member or a parent or, or, or a uh, cousin, uncle, or even a neighbor, right? You have mechanisms within your mind that's going to make you adopt to that was not your fault or that, you know, you're going to take on the fault, excuse me. You're going to take it on. And, and that's the only way you can, how would you say, uh, live with that assault on you. And it is very difficult. And I've known a lot of people, you know, like I was saying earlier that, uh, in, in dealing with the, the alternative lifestyle, the LGBTQ community, I, I had a company that dealt specifically in Hollywood Hills. And I sat down with a lot of them, very tragic lives when they were kids, um, very functional people, very intelligent, uh, business owners, very, you know, uh, successful, uh, great people really good people. But when you sit down and you start talking to them and you listen to their lifestyle or not lifestyle as then, but childhood, a lot of tragedy involved and how they decided to deal with it was a whole nother ball game. Well, that doesn't surprise me. Well, so why, then how does that relate to crime? Well, crime is, now you get into and it's crime. not, I realize they're not the only driver of well, crime. They're, they're not the driver of crime and the driver of crime realistically is government. Okay. You know, you look I, at, I, no, I think I figured you, you, out where you're going. You look at 47, 57, 109, prison realignment. You, you look at the, the stats are supposedly gone down. It's because felonies are no longer felonies or misdemeanors. Misdemeanors are no longer actually a crime anymore. They're, they're a fine. It, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Well, you they've know. created a culture where they're not accountable. There's no consequence well, for crimes unless it's at a very major level. And even then, it's, it's not. Even then, it's not. I mean, Gascon in L.A., that's why they're trying to recall him in L.A., is because he looks at it, included of murder, the maximum sentence of any crime should be no more than 20 years. Now, think about that. You're sentenced to 20 years. You automatically are dropped down to 75% of that. Okay, so now that's 15 years. Okay, with good behavior, you can drop it down to 12. So, you know, my neighbors really pissed me off. I'm going to take his ass out, you know, and I've only spent 12 years in prison for it. So what the hell, you know, I got rid of him because he's not going to move for 20. So now I don't have to deal with him for eight. Wow. And I get, <laughs> I get free housing, free food, and free medical for 12. Right. I mean, this is the mentality. You know, you look at, you know, the, the just theft, petty theft. Now I grew up, if you stole more than $200, it was a felony, just a straight out, straight out felony. Now you can go into a store and you see these guys walking in with calculators. They can steal up to $950 in one incident, mm-hmm. one incident. So however many times they're, if they're I mean, motivated, they could go 
if they're really motivated, times. they can go hit up 10 stores in one day yep. and sell the stuff on the black market for half that price for 500 bucks. That's 5,000 bucks in one day. They can go out and get, they estimated, I forget it was $47 billion in lost revenue in the state of California because of that. Yeah. So crime is really by government more than anything, because it's like, you know, if you put out a, a big, big bowl of bird seed out there, you know, one bird's going to show up and within you know six months, there's going to be 400 birds out there. Yeah. Very true. We're going to go ahead and take our last break. This is Eric Rollins, the Constitutionalist, here on 1550 KXCX, the best talk in town. This is Eric Rollins, the Constitutionalist, here on 1550 KXCX, the best talk in town. Today, I am joined by ah, Supervisor Candidate (laughs) Mark Reed. He is running in District 5 in Madera County. Welcome. I hate that when your tongue gets tied up. You just, you just can't untie it. Out. <laughs> yep. I was like, I can't get through that word today. So one of the biggest drivers of what's going on is inflation. And what, what as a supervisor, is there anything you can do about it? Uh, no. <laughs> so actually an honest answer from a politician. In, 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 inflation is created by the Federal Reserve printing up too much money. When you have too much money chasing the same goods and you have a reduction of production, then you create inflation. There's just too much money chasing the same amount of goods. That, so they, that, that is the, the very simple 101 definition of inflation. Well, they gave people money to do nothing. Well, and that, then they that, had, that's a whole nother problem in, they, in itself. It just, they printed up so much money and put it in circulation that it created, eventually they were going to have inflation. So now the Fed's desire to, to curtail that is to raise interest rates, which, you know, which suppresses you, the economy though, suppresses the economy massively, suppresses the, the housing market. And we were talking about homelessness, you know, you're now you're going to have more people out of houses. Uh, you know, it, it is a domino effect that the feds have done for decades, a transfer of wealth from the rich to the poor and the poor back to the rich. And that's the stock market's whole mode of operation is how do you transfer wealth constantly? You flush it into the, the average person, and then you take it back out of the average person, you flush it back in and it fluctuates back and forth. The inflation rate by the federal reserve, they want to keep it between one five and two five. So when it gets up to six, seven, eight, ten percent, where it's at basically now, they've got to do something drastic to knock it back down again and pull money out of the out of the, the circulation. Yes, but when it's gotten that far out of whack, out of line, they're raising interest rates. It's, it, we're basically playing with the idea that we're going to have a recession. I think it's very likely we're in a recession. We're in it. You have to realize that what is the definition of a recession? A definition of recession is two quarters with a minus GDP. We're already there. We're there. Okay. I mean, I, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at it. I mean, inflationary rates, we were joking about, you know, grocery bags full of food. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first got married, you know, you could fill up a, a larger grocery bag for about 35 bucks. Now you go in there, you get the small plastic bags, and it's 110 bucks per bag. And, it's, and you don't get anything. You can spend 250 bucks on, on groceries. You go in there and you stick it in your, your refrigerator and you look in your refrigerator and you go, what the heck did I buy for 250 bucks? Nothing. So that's inflation there. And the biggest driver of you know, inflation, the cost of living, is our fuel prices. 
and people don't understand that. It's great the environmentalists are out there, but the reality in California is that the CO2 emissions is less now than it was in 1980. Mm -hmm. You know that, right? And the biggest reason for that, though, is because of natural gas, which we produced ourselves. That is the biggest single change. There's some some automobile changes. There's some other changes. The biggest single change is that. There's a lot of of changes that have taken place to create that to happen, and it was all the free market. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the government coming down and saying, like, you know, old Mr. Newsom here, is you can't have gas chainsaws anymore. They have to be electric. You know, you can, diesel is going to be out in, well, I think it's 20 to 2035. You can't buy diesel anymore. And it's like, well, wait a minute. That is actually better fuel than, than regular fuel. Because uh, those vehicles last so much longer. And, well, they last a heck of a lot longer. But also you look at the percentages of fuels that are extracted from a barrel of oil. You know, a barrel of oil, everything you touch in the economy has something to do with fossil fuel. These headphones, mm-hmm. all fossil fuel microphone all of this plastics your cars and you know what is it i'm betting the buttons on your shirt yeah i mean 50 percent of everything in a car is plastic it's it's fossil fuel i mean so you're never going to get rid of fossil fuel it is the economy it is the the life bread you know through line of the economy so you know I forgot what we were talking about. That's all right. Off on a tangent. Um, We're running out of time. We're down to about three and a half minutes. I wanted to get in a little bit about election integrity, and then I want to end with hope. Election integrity is going to get back to a single day of election in person, going back to the old school way of if you have a valid reason for not being able to show up at the ballot box, you are incapacitated, you're in a rest home, you're a senior citizen, you're in the military, you happen to be out out of the state. Uh, when you are, are you know, the election is there for work or whatever, you can go ahead and get an absentee ballot. Even the Democrats understood that this vote by mail was riddled with problems. You know, they call it fraud, but fraud is an intentional act, and it's a legal, legal terminology. But through the legislative laws that have been passed in every state, they have created fertile ground for mishaps in every election. <laughs> And I'll, yeah. call them, I'll call them mishaps because fraud is a legal term. So we need to address that. We need to get back to a very simplified election process. Well, I wish people would look at – there was a commission, and Jimmy Carter was on it. Yes. And that whole commission talked about the problems and how to fix elections. That's when the Democrats came out about the vote by mail and said that there was a lot of problems, and, and they were very much against it. And, mm-hmm. But we need to get back to that process. Right now, on Election Day, Election Day has now been extended 30 days. You don't know who won an election. In the old days, when I was a kid, you knew who won the election on and, Election Night. And 30 days to certify. Yes. It's 30 days. That's what to, I mean. You don't To vote in 30 to certify. So right. there's just a lot of places in there for potential problems. There's a lot of wiggle room for unscrupulous actions to take place and and people will say well you believe in the, the big lie and it's like no i don't believe in the big lie i want election integrity if everybody who involves themselves in election can't believe in the results of the election including the candidates then you have a problem and right now we have a problem we are down to about a minute 20 okay. why are you hopeful and why are you doing this i'm hopeful because inside of me burns that little flame of freedom that I truly believe in. And I believe that everybody has that flame of freedom inside of them, whether you're Republican or Democrat, 
And I suggest that everybody start talking to one another with a civil tongue and finding out we all have the same desires in life. We have the same wants and the same needs. And you can't be just hopeful. Hopeful comes with action. As I said, I can lock myself in a, in a closet. I can lock you in a closet and you can hope for a pizza to show up. Well, I'm going to figure out how to open the door and I'm going to make a phone call to pizza factory and order a pizza up. So responsible we, for your actions. We, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's also the circumstances of your life. You have to put effort in. So I don't believe in just hope. I believe in action and that's why I'm running for office. If I can change the life of, of one individual within my district to the better, I've done my job, but if I can change communities, you know, with my actions and my decisions, then I've done a a really good job. And this is what has to take place. We have to become involved in all of our civic duties. We have to hold our, our elected officials accountable. We have to contribute to campaigns. You can contribute to my campaign. Just go to Mark Reed, uh, super supervisor, let me back it up. Supervisor, Mark There is a donation button on there. You can donate to my campaign, but donate to your local individuals and get behind them, help them. That is hope with action. And that's why I am always very, very optimistic with the American pilot light of freedom in everybody. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you joining me today. Thank you. This is Eric Rollins, the Constitutionalist here on 1550 KXEX, the best talk in town. 